on this episode of Quantum Week, January 29th through February 4th, 1995. Quantum Week! Quantum Week! Welcome to Quantum Week. I'm Matt. I'm Chris. Quantum Week is a show in which Chris and I jump into a random week of a random year and talk about the movies, the music, the headlines, the culture, everything that makes that time period unique. Absolutely. And we are talking about the very last week in January of 1995. January 29th through February 4th, which we also talked about in the open, but just for a refresher. Absolutely. And, and the movie we're going to talk about is Legends of the Fall, which was the number... So here's the... I want to say this straight... Was this a preface? I have a preface. Uh, moving forward... We're only taking the number one movie of that week. Really? Because that's not going to go like, what could, about Oscar worthy or fuck any it, of that, that punishes us. So oh. if, if there's a movie that like completely sucks, we have to watch it, which we avoided one barely. It was what a was terrible it? Highlander. Oh, um, was it, two? it was two, right? It was like part three, I think. Was it part three? Yeah, it was a really bad Highlander movie, which was $600,000 less <laughs> than Legends of the Fall, which at least won an Oscar, and at least I think something we can talk about. The Highlander yeah. movie would have been a, a complete... I did like Highlander 1, but I think and by you said three... you've seen all of the Highlander TV shows? Yeah, you? I did, because it was. I think that was during high school for me, and it was oh, at a God. good time during the... Did you, you never watched any of them? I watched the first movie. With Adrian something. Yeah, I, uh, with Sean Connery was in the very first one. Absolutely, Sean and, Connery and terrible. Christopher sorry, or something. Oh, yeah, Christopher Lambert. Lambert, yeah. yeah bad uh but th this <laughs> legend of the i love the concept though that's why i watched yeah, it yeah yeah all right all right concept's good yeah. uh the uh movie this time is legends of the fall yes uh, which stars brad pitt anthony hopkins it was directed by edward zwick i'll say it right, right up front edward zwick most known for tv he created 30 something uh, -huh. uh and a show called once and again which is popular at the end of the century um 30 something probably his biggest thing but he's also he's done a lot of stuff he directed um uh, he produced uh, Shakespeare in Love. So yeah. he won an Oscar for yep. that. So he's kind of dabbled in a number of things. Um, this was his great, uh, attempted to be his great sweeping epic. Yeah. Did you like this movie, Matt? Actually, um, so I liked it at, f the first time I saw it, I know I liked it. But this time, I, I didn't like it as much. Doesn't I, I gave it like a well. B minus, kind of. Yeah, And it was mostly right. because of Brad Pitt, actually. I thought that he did not do as well as he was given credit for. Interesting. Honestly. Oh, and I, but I did want to say too, yeah, besides yeah. those two, Aiden Quinn, um, Julia Ormond. And I liked, I thought, actually, I thought she did, her and uh, Anthony Hopkins did the best in this film. Oh, we, we're going to have differing opinions yes! here. Uh, Henry Thomas, also in it from ET. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, uh, right. I have kind of an overall theme I'll, I'll get into in, in a bit here. Uh, but this was, a, a, if you haven't seen it or if you have seen it, it's very melodramatic. Um, one quick thing, it did win an Oscar. I mentioned it won Best Cinematography. Right. Uh, which it, it beat, it, we dominated for three. Yeah, there was three. Yeah, yeah it won one. Uh, the cinematography one's interesting. Um, so 1994, when this movie was actually released, um, for Oscar reasons, it was a stacked year. It's a famously stacked year. Mm. You had, uh, Shawshank Redemption. Yep. Um, you had Forrest Gump, which won best picture and you had Pulp Fiction. This Legends of Fall was not even nominated for best picture. How does Forrest Gump come out with the win in that eh, year? That's kind of debated a, a lot. I it's mean, fine. If you lived in the moment, I mean, you, you remember, like, I it, liked it. I yeah. definitely liked it, but not like, Pulp Fiction is no, one of the best Pulp, things obviously, ever made. And Shawshank is beautiful. Shawshank film. was a, was like a last, was like the fifth guy into that nomination. Yeah, film. you know that, that was like it got nominated for a bunch of awards, but it was no one ever considered to be a real I shot. Thought it was, I thought it was an amazing film. Shawshank. Oh no, I, yeah. I love Shawshank. Yeah. And in fact, this is my point of contention here: right. is yeah, that cinematography, uh, Legends of the Fall, beat Shawshank. And I think Shawshank is a prettier film. You think so? Yeah. 
I mean, it's hard to beat the Montana landscape, though, with all the prairie and the fire, giant mountains and the bear and all that stuff. I think it's almost like a, a degree of difficulty here. So yeah. Conrad Hall uh, did the cinematography for uh, Shawshank. Yeah. He also did a cinematography for, which I think is the most beautiful film ever made, which is Road to Perdition. Oh, yeah. We've talked about this before. I, I totally directed agree. Directed by Stan Mendes. So beautiful. It yeah. is the most beautiful film, yeah. in my opinion, ever shot. Yeah. So, um, same cinematographer. So, I'm a big Conrad Hall fanboy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Conrad Hall, by the way, died shortly after Road to Perdition. So, he, uh. you know, he will never know my love for him, unfortunately. Um, uh, try to dig him up, maybe. I don't I, know. We should. <laughs> That'd be fun. Like, Resurrect uh, him. Do a live show. We dig up Conrad <laughs> Hall and have him on. <laughs> see, see what condition his body is in. at Bernie's. Oh, he has some flesh. Um, but uh, I, I think, I think shooting a jail, a prison in Maine. We it's hard no, to make that look pretty. It's really hard. But you thought it looked pretty. I think. I think it's. I don't say maybe not pretty, but I think it was uh, visually stunning. Yeah. Um, I, I think I this that. movie is easy. Like you have. You it have, is easier. But remember, it was shot. It, it takes place in Montana. Actually, shot in Vancouver. Was it really? Yeah. Huh. But still, you know, whatever. Yeah, still, same. Still it's gorgeous. very similar. Yeah. Um, so I think you have, uh, you, it's almost like, it's almost impossible to make that not look beautiful. <laughs> like you got, not only have you, Brad, and you got beautiful people, beautiful right? people. Yeah. Like I, we mentioned in talented Mr. Ripley, you had Jude Law at his peak yeah. handsomeness, like incredibly good looking guy. This movie, our third episode, we have another like peak handsome guy. Brad Pitt never looks better than this movie. I, I imagine yeah. for, he's like, I think he's mid to late twenties at this point. So this is, this is, peak but this Pitt. movie in particular though, like yeah. it's just like, oh, yeah. and you, you, I think you tweeted today that he won like sexiest man of the year. At, at the, right. 95. This week. Yeah. I mean, it's not hard to, you know, argue no. that. Like, no, this no, no, guy no. is like, like, uh, I, you, you kind of understand why women, like men, after watching this movie, like, oh, I can, I can, I can make that <laughs> I mean, case. Uh, I, right. I yeah. understand. Uh, he, he looks, he looks amazing. Which, can I get, do you have any other points? Because I have, I have a kind of a large sweeping. Well, I do want to say something Good, about Brad Pitt. Did you notice the fake beard during the fucking, I think it was during, maybe it was the bath scene where Julia Armand has got, him by the so later in the film there's some, there's it some looks like a, it, it is a, his scruff looks real but in that scene it, like his mustache looks really fake and then I, I I looked at it even closer and it it seemed the beard was a peel off one too he looks like he was in some sort of fucking Halloween shop before the fucking film putting this thing there, on there, there was some makeup and some um especially like I said Brad Pitt's beard it was looked odd that, it did was, it looked oddly is put on a Lego and, painted yeah. on scenario but other things was like even the shots of uh like Helena. Um, the city right. it looked yeah. gorgeous, and yep. even the war scenes were, were shot. Yeah, almost like too beautiful. It's like, oh, it's a little, it's like a war. Should be gritty. Um, yeah. So I have, I, I'd like to talk about this movie in terms of uh, charisma and what charisma means to movies. It's kind of my overarching thing with this. Yeah. So, uh, you, I want to talk about three people in particular and kind of what happened to their career and what it means to be a movie star. What it means to be charismatic on screen. You have three stars here that I want to talk about. You have, you have Brad Pitt. Okay. You have Julia Ormond, and you have Henry Thomas all had wildly different careers and all, in my opinion, have wildly different screen presence. Hmm. Okay, so let's, I, I, I want to spend very little time on this because we all know Brad Pitt, right? Yeah, Brad Pitt, incredibly right. handsome. Yep. From this movie, very talented. this is the beginning. This movie, by the way, was a huge hit. Yep. And then uh, he went on to do Seven right after this and then his career, his career obviously started with Demon Louise, you know, more or less became a movie star. Then, right. And then River he, runs through River it. Runs through, right. And then he does this and then he ends up getting seven and you know, then the, explodes. Right. Yeah. And then he did 12 monkeys. Fight Club. He was nominated for 12 monkeys uh, Academy Award. Oh, yeah, that's right. Did so win, he had critical appeal. Yeah. He had mass appeal. So it was just like, all right. So and he, he's very talented. I just felt like this talented. movie, he was not, he was blocky and weird. And uh, yeah, I, this, I just didn't find wildly charismatic though. 
I mean, oh, like, he is, you know, yeah. like, you, yeah, know, you see right. see, you're, you're drawn in. Yep. Um, and obviously he just won the Oscar for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which in my opinion was incredibly well-deserved. He's very good in that movie. I think he, he obviously is a quintessential movie star. Yeah. It's, it's you may not like Brad Pitt for whatever reason, but you, no one can argue he's not a movie star. He is. Absolutely. Okay. So then we have Julia Armand. I think this is a really fascinating, Julia Armand and Henry Thomas are my fascinating takeaways from this movie. So Julia Armand um, is, in my opinion, on screen, very cold. She's not like, she meanwhile, this character written, not a likable character. This right. is like a despicable character. You, can, you, you can't help but kind of like, kind of hate this person. Kind of is breaking up the family. Not a shock that a man <laughs> wrote this novel <laughs> right. and a man directed this because yeah. this woman is framed so terribly. And meanwhile, she's very cold. And from this movie, she went on to do a movie called Sabrina with Harrison Ford and Greg Kinnear. Yep. And that was supposed to be her like, I'm on the cover. Coming out like her, movie. Yeah. This is when she becomes I forgot about that a film. movie star. Yeah. Julia Mon was supposed to be a movie star. Yeah. Uh, they had her set up. The studios loved her. Everybody loved her. And then she completely disappeared, more or less. She ended up winning an Emmy like 15 years later for supporting her. But she, her career completely, after Sabrina, it was, it was DOA. Yeah. Right. And you wonder why. This woman's beautiful. She seems intelligent. Yeah. Why? And she, to me, and maybe you disagree, I kind of want to have this conversation now. I think she appears very cold hmm. on, I, 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 she has no charisma. She, um, she seems, uh, I don't say manipulative, uh, methodical in her, in what she does and how she portrays herself. Yeah. And I don't, I don't end up caring for her on screen, even though Tristan played by Brad Pitt is a, a horrible person. He is. Yeah. In a lot of ways, really yep. despicable. Right. Completely abandons this uh, Julia Mon character. Child. Yeah, like a, yeah. like a, completely. But you are drawn. You can't kind of like him. Even in yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he you know could have killed his wife. Potentially. And you're like, I kind of like this guy. Yeah. Where Julia Mon, you, I kind of, I kind of can't help but hate her. Hmm. She's very cold, ice princess like quality. That, I just felt like she had a big on? weight on her the entire time. Totally. Yeah, and so for me, and and uh, also the isolation of being in that area. I was thinking about that too, watching the film, like. It, the, at that time, uh, at, in that place, you are like you have your surrounding family, and then you don't really interact with like it. Well, it, apparently, there's it no other so women hard. anywhere. No, no, that, that was the there thing. There's one woman. Okay, in this whole and that's world. that's actually the other crazy <laughs> so thing. Insane. The Isabel situation. All, all the women is weird. That, can you imagine a scenario where the mom abandons the family? Mom's like, and I'm you, out. And you have these like intimate uh, letter relationship with them. It makes no sense. Anthony Hopkins, like my dearest Isabel. Our sons are blah blah like this this sort of prose to this one who fucking abandoned, abandoned you. Abandoned you. I couldn't understand that either. And you see her like writing in her study, and she's I I couldn't help hating her. I was like, you fucker, abandoning. They need you. They're yeah. gonna go through some shit. They did. They did yeah. need her. Yeah. But I just felt like uh, she that that um, Ormond had you know had, uh, that character had a lot of weight on her to kind of she could have been the glue of that family, but instead. She was sort of in an impossible situation because Brad Pitt is so charismatic. Like he's the, he's like the, you're just, he's the Mustang of that family. You're just drawn in the yeah. entire time. So I, I think it, I think it was hard. I actually, but like I said in the beginning, I really thought that her performance and Hopkins' performance were the best of of, of the. Hopkins family. is good no matter what. He's you're you're so not damned. <laughs> yes, great. Uh, his he's twisted so face. Good. How yeah. is that not a, a gif or a meme? It should be. Anthony Hopkins' twisted face. Let's get more of that. <laughs> Yes. I want to see Anthony Hopkins. That might be my new background on Twitter. It's a hot fight screenshot of Anthony Hopkins' twisted face to replace uh, poor Art Howe. Yeah. Um, he's one of my favorite. I was thinking about that watching the film. He is one of my favorite actors all time. Definitely. Oh, he's incredible. I love he's, him. So yeah. he's great. I, I just think he's so good. Um, he's really good. Uh, and But even him and uh, Aiden Quinn, both very I've talented. never liked Aiden Quinn. So I think he's a good actor. You think so? I think he's What's decent. He been in, has he been in anything that's been that's good? 
He's a solid supporter. He's solid. Well, regardless, my okay, point yeah. is that Brad Pitt is just chewing. Yeah, he's like right. you're still. Anthony Hopkins. No, we we are right. in full agreement. And right, he, right. He's obviously levels above Aiden Quinn. Yeah, but he he's a good actor. Yeah, Aiden uh, Hopkins great actor rather. And Brad Pitt completely like he's like lost in the wake. Like you don't even notice That's he's true. there. Like it's <laughs> like oh right. I need to see more of this Tristan <laughs> guy. Uh, so you have Julia Mondo who. Uh, it has, in my opinion, this kind of this cult appeal. Then you have Henry Thomas, who has a really fascinating yeah. career. He, obviously, he's an ET, e. right? Yep. Completely, you know, huge, huge star. He does this movie called Cloak and Dagger with Dabney Coleman. No Came idea out. what that is. So he did two movies. So what happens is, obviously, this is, you're an ET. You're a whatever. Yeah. Six years old. That's fucking young, are. right. You have a chance to be in, you know, this is kind of like, all right, where does your career go? This is the fork in the road, right? Yeah. He does two movies. And I kind of can't blame him for either one. One of them, he's with uh, co-stars with Gene Hackman, who's one of my favorite actors. Gene yeah, Hackman's he's great Gene. too. Honestly, yeah. I looked it up. I did research a couple days ago. I already forgot the name of this movie. I'd never heard this movie before. I didn't know this movie existed. Movie comp- didn't even draw a million dollars in box office total. Mm. It was a DOA dead arrival. Like, this was just a really bad movie. Yeah. He does that movie. Tanks. He does another movie called Cloak and Dagger, which if you're, if you had a, did you have HBO growing up? Uh, yes. Yeah, okay. we did. Yep. All right. So like it was on HBO all the time. Cloak and Dagger. It was Dabney Coleman, who was a, a kind of a comic actor, if you will, but it was a yeah. serious role. And uh, Henry Thomas, and they played like spies. It was like, how old is Thomas at this point? Uh, well, Thomas wasn't like a spy because that makes it sound like a really odd movie. Uh, Thomas was someone who saw like a murder or oh, saw something okay. happen, right? And then Dabney Coleman is like a sort of a spyish character, and he kind of takes him in. I guess it's really less spy, more I guess more protecting the witness. Yeah, I mean, is he still a kid though? Then or is oh he yeah, like- he's like he's like eight years old, seven years old. Oh, all right. Yeah, these are the two movies yeah. he did right after ET. Not the best spy then. I got you. No, no, he wasn't a spy. I was. Uh, I said that really poorly. I like. I want to see a movie though. I now decide I want to see a movie where Dabney Coleman now and Henry Thomas are spies. Maybe that'll happen. I don't uh, know. Let's, let's, let's try to get them together. Yes, yeah, so let's make that happen. <laughs> I'll fund that movie. Sequels are happening um, all over the place anyway. So. Reboot of Cloak and Dagger. Well, yeah. um, so th- that movie also doesn't do well. And he's kind of, and he kind of just leaves Hollywood. He comes back for a couple of things. He does a uh, mm. Migos Foreman film. Migos Foreman is a great director. Once for Cuckoo's Nest, uh, he did uh, Man in the Moon. He did uh, uh, Larry Flint. Great director. Any of the, I don't remember him Amadeus. in any of these. So no, but he, he was, did Amadeus. No, 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 no. Migos Foreman did those. Movies. Oh, okay, okay. okay so okay, he right. decides he wants to jump on this movie. He does this movie that was made in France, though. I had never heard of it. Stack cast. I've never seen this. I got to see this movie. Uh, but he obviously does it. He's coming out of like semi-retirement to work yeah. with great directors, but it never quite pans out. Yeah. Um, he does a TV movie. He does a couple other movies and he does like, and he finally around this time is when he kind of jumps back into Hollywood and does legends of the fall. Right. And he is so weak in this. Yeah. He's really weak. He's completely I'm like, blown how off did the you, screen. How'd you get how, like, it doesn't make sense that she's with him. No, it makes no sense. And maybe they did that on purpose because she needed to have that attraction for, but Brad is so amazing. Like not amazing. But you're supposed to care for this character right, you and are. you don't yeah. care no, about you him. Don't, you he don't. is completely, he's like water. Yep. He, he is like a non-entity. And Henry Thomas really hasn't really, he's been a kind of a character actor, I guess. Yeah. In the last, uh, I guess 20 years now, 25 years we're talking about. I don't remember him at all in anything. He, he's done a few things. He, he was in the Dr. Sleep movie most recently. Oh, right. He played, yeah. uh, he played Jack Torrance. Yeah. Which was a bizarre uh, thing. It's actually the most charismatic thing I've seen him do since ET. Uh, but he—he's doing an impression <laughs> of Jack Nicholson. <laughs> uh, but he and it was just—it's like wow, what kind of interesting career? Now I asked my question. The reason I kind of preamble yeah, yeah. all that. Imagine if he had taken a better movie. Uh, I don't know what that movie would have been, but what if he had done, what if he had been short round in Raiders of the Lost Ark or right. something? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Or he had done a hit. If it would have given him more confidence or better opportunities or whatever, would he have been 
a better actor? Yeah, is that what you're in asking? Indiana Jones movie or something. Yeah, you maybe. Know, or what if he was in uh, in Goonies? I mean, I think it's terrible for child actors. They're really sort of pegged in the first role that they're in, and then it's hard for them to get out. Like, if you think of what a Halle Joel or something. Uh, now uh, he's just uh, turned uh, into Haley a... Joel Osment, you mean? Haley Joel, right. Yeah, 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 he's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. such yeah. a chub, like just a right. chubby has-been at this point. Right. It, I think it's tough to translate. And he made odd movies, too. He went and he did... did. Uh, yeah, he did... Like, did uh, a Helen Hunt movie. Oh, um, yeah, with Pay It Forward. Uh, yeah. Did a few other Which movies. is all right. It was all right. He did AI with Spielberg. Actually, that wasn't a bad one. Which makes sense on paper, but it didn't, but he made it seem, he's a robot, so it didn't, yeah, didn't quite he work. Yeah, didn't, no. Um, but yeah, Henry Thomas, it's like, all right, wow, you know, had he done, let's say, let's say he had done Goonies, which, you know. Could have. Would that have helped him? What, you know what I mean? Like, what would his career look like at that point? Maybe. I just think it's so rare that a child actor goes on and does anything. And he, it's and so rare. to his credit, he's been working yeah. consistently for 25 years. But never a leading man. And he's never good. I mean, no. you know, it's not memorable. Well, certainly not memorable to me. I, yeah. He's in Suicide Kings, which is like a noir about film. That. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's done, you'd be surprised you look at his IMDb, like, oh, he's been in more than I've remembered. Yeah. But nothing that I've remembered. Because his face, I always recognize, like, oh, yeah, that's a little that's kid. But, too. Yeah. Right. But he's it. really weak in this movie, and he's, he's completely blown off the screen. And he just yeah. is someone who has no charisma. Yeah. He's like the anti-Brad Pitt. Mm. So you think Ormond is sort of is sort of like the vanilla. She's sort of in the middle. She's and cold. Cold. Okay. All right. Um, and he's like a wet noodle. And he's out just there. nothing. And you've got the bright shine star and, that is Brad Pitt. Yeah, you have like Michael Jordan, like, right. you know, yeah. in the late 80s, you know, dropping Slamming 67 dunks. points on the Celtics. <laughs> like that's what you it's just like what is happening here. Right. And it makes the movie to be very disjointed. It does feel disjointed. Yeah, because then, like, what is, if you don't care about him, how do you care that Brad Pitt's all broken up that he's dead? And the whole movie hinges on caring it about this really character. It really does. Like, it has to break his heart. Because right. they keep revisiting his, his grave, and you're like, oh, that's right, he died. I yeah, right. Why are we crying? Whatever. Oh, yeah, I Samuel. Know. All right, I guess. Yeah, great guy. Yeah. So but that's it, my take. I, 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 I don't know if I, I give you the same thing, B minus. Yeah, this, okay, this, so you, did you like it when you first saw it? Were you really so into it? I never saw the theaters. Remember Suncoast videos? It was like a, a, oh, yeah. a place in like, for us, yeah. it was a Fox room mall, but it was in malls all of America. And you can go and you could buy like VHS tapes, which I liked. I wanted the idea of creating a film library. Yeah. So I remember I would go once a week and I'd buy what I call movie of the week. And I'd go to Suncoast <laughs> and I'd buy a different movie every week. Usually I'd buy whatever was on sale or whatever I could afford. Yeah. Something was like four, because movies were pretty expensive, more expensive than Blu-rays are now. Or they like $19.99 or something. Yeah, for, uh, or like $29.99, $39.99. Something were expensive. Yeah. But sometimes you find one for like $12.99. Oh, I'm going to scoop that up. Yeah. You know, this is back in 96, 97, you know, when $12.99 was m- more than it is today. Sure. So uh, this was, must have been on sale. So I had never seen it. So I picked it up. I watched it. I kind of liked it. Um, I like it less now, I think. So you, Yeah, exactly. So I, 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 that, that's how I felt about it. I, I had better nostalgia for the film. I mean, I knew, you know, I knew it was going to be a darker, tougher film to watch again, which keeps happening to us, I think. But uh, but I had better nostalgia. I think also the other thing is I, I, I kind of equate it with A River Runs Through It because those are kind of yeah, two. Yeah. So I couldn't like the bootlegging part of it and stuff. I was, but he's a bootlegger in both. I think he he is, isn't he? Something like that. So I, I kept like, when's the fly fishing? But they don't explain like why is he bootlegger? Like he owns a ring. Like why is yeah? They say the Volcor act is is that yeah Volstead yeah. Well, and supposedly I love how in the for the Lolos, if you're a congressman, that's like the highest level of rebellion. Yes. It's like oh God forbid he's a actually that's what What I really liked. I love the anti uh, anti yeah of course the anti government. Uh, that's the other reason why I was drawn to Hopkins. He saw the brutality of war and said, okay, these guys are okay with killing children. Fuck it. I'm out of here. Right. I, I love that. And I like, do too. You're going like, to be a, you're going to be a congressperson. You're going to sell yourself out. But he what wasn't are you doing going for these to war. I mean, he was a congressman. Like that's yeah. not so bad. You can still, but no, you can make but change he knew. within. He's like, they have bought you. That's why you've brought your fucking horde here. They have bought you. 
What did they? What? What have you? What are you going to give to them? It's for, a weird reaction. I uh, loved it. That's think, exactly think my any reaction. Any parent in history, in history, American Except history, me. Any parent, you're not, <laughs> yeah. any parent has ever had a kid become a, a congressperson and reacted like that. It to me is so bizarre. No, I would react like that now. You're like the colonel with a twist. We have a twisted face. I would definitely. I would. You're I not would, dumb. <laughs> I would twist my face on purpose. No, if if I had a kid and they and they grew up and wanted to, they want to be a congressman. Service, you I'd would, be like, fuck you. No, I wouldn't say that to them. You, but I'd be like, you're you selling yourself out. I would be. I would not yell at them. But congressman, you you'd you'd be mad at them. I would be mad at them for being strange. Do you think so? Yeah, it's weird. I'm like you're part of the problem. Maybe you can sell yourself out from within. That never happens. We don't have to go into that. This this is the wrong podcast for that. All right. But anyway, but that was one of the reasons that I was drawn to Anthony. This anti-establishment. You are a big Colonel Ludlow fan. I'm a huge. I thought he. But I love. I love hockey. I know. I I was drawn. Yeah. It's it's really hard not to not to dig it. As legends of fall. Yeah, was there any other thoughts on that? Or is yeah, that uh, Fake Beard Hopkins Hates Government? Okay, so then we did a song, too. And we do. Well, every week we do a song. Yeah, yeah you're right. We're weekly now, too. That's exciting. I wasn't going to tell anybody, but yeah. We're well, just going to... Yeah, we, we're weekly. <laughs> okay. Cats out of the bag. Oh, boy, how exciting. <laughs> sure, people are thrilled. Uh, okay, yeah, so, so the so, song... So, yeah, you, you covered the song. Always. Right, right, right. So um, as I have... You know, I said this on the last show, too, and probably the first show. It's like I... I keep having to deal with these top 40 tunes and I tend to like, I'm not, I mostly I'm not going to like them. And here we are. I'm confronted with another song that I don't really like. So what was the number one song? It was, oh, a, it was a TLC. Oh, it right? was TLC creep creep, which I don't even remember from I, that I don't, time. I remember Radiohead creep. I don't really remember of course. TLC. Yeah. And TLC, yeah. I mean, uh, waterfalls. Like there's a plenty no of other, scrubs. Scrubs a good one. I, there are some TLC tunes that I'd be totally yeah. fine breaking down and talking okay. about. But creep, I was like, I don't even remember this. It's yeah. the same fucking phrase over and over. So you're going to cheat. You're going to so, break the rules here. No, so I did episode? alternative. The alternative that's, that's chart. Cheating. That's, cheating. that's not cheating. That's cheating. It's a four. It's a top forty chart. Right. We have to establish the rules better. I think we do too. I agree with that. Yeah. I think you're cheating. But that's fine. I don't feel like I'm. I cheating. I think I might have cheated with one of them. Uh, either Italian Mr. Ripley. I don't know if it was number one. So I'll give you this one cheat pass. I'm not, not going to bust your balls on it. If you cheat moving forward, I'm, I'm going to give you a hard wait time. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, because if we do, if we keep doing this top forty tunes, I am not going to be able to find anything I like. I'm that just going to be negative. Fu- I like that. I, I like don't it. like it. All right, no, I want to talk all about right, songs. Let's talk about this fucking song. All right, fine. So this is Green Day. When I come around. Now I don't love this song either, but at least it gave me a little bit something to talk to or talk about. Um, people probably know this tune, but I'll, 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 I'll play a little bit of Diddy kind of later on to get people in the mood with it. But it's another, I know I talked about this on the first show. It's another scenario where you take a style of music and you vanilla it down so that the public can handle it. Right. So, so green day is kind of a punk band. This is the critique on green day. Right. Absolutely. Now they are one of the, the best selling bands of all fucking time. Are they the best selling punk band ever? They probably are. I, they I, must be. Are you think I punk's think so. the first thing? I mean, yeah, I think so. I, I can't. I and can't they have a, they had a Broadway show. They had a bro- right. And I they, mean, they've just had a string of numbers. So, so, okay. So this, when I come around is from an album called Dookie, Dookie. which is actually means poop. Like they're talking yeah. about shit. In fact, the reason why they call it, they were going to call it like, like, dookie squirts or something because <laughs> when they were on tour they'd eat a bad tour food and they'd have bad poops yeah so that's why they call this thing fucking you know dookie. rolling stone had this as like the 197th best album ever did you you found that yeah i don't think it's anywhere near that personally but it does have like five i think four or five number one hits yes it has four yeah there's definitely yeah. four there were four in a basket row case and, uh, uh right uh basket case what was the other one i've got them written down here somewhere but this was the third one that came out 
yeah, so they just had a string, like right in a row. And this, in my opinion, so I had this album too. Sorry, Longview, Basket Case, When I Come Around. That was the order of the, yeah. the three. And, and I had this, I, so I had this album through Columbia House. Oh, yeah. Which, if you don't remember Columbia House, you, 25 you, cents. you give a penny. Oh, penny. And they would mail you back 12 CDs with the idea you become a member. Right. But you would never give, I was, you know, I was 15. You'd you never quit. give your real name. You, I'd be like, oh, uh, I had my, my cat's name was Rocket. So I'd be like, oh, Rocket uh, Smith. And they'd give my address. Like, oh, they're going to bill my cat? So then sure enough, they're like, hey, Rocket, we, we haven't heard from you in a while. Are you still a member? We you had know, to send them a penny in the mail, too. Right? Is that how it was? You tape so it to the thing. You get like, it was like in a newspaper. You tape a penny to this thing and you write right. the codes of the right, song right, right, of the right. albums you want. So one of these albums was uh, Dookie by Green Day. The only reason I would never probably bought this album. Um, I, do, I did like alternative music a lot, which I'm sure you're going to hear yeah. as we keep yeah, going yeah, through these, course. especially this time in my life. I'm, right. I'm 15. Um, but not, uh, now you're not 15. You no, were now I'm 40. Right. I'm old. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, no, but 90s was formative for you and for me. Yes. This was like our formative. Right. Okay, I'm 15. Yeah. I'm really, yeah. So, right. I mean, uh, so I, uh, I did have Dookie and I did listen to it quite a bit. So, you know, it's back then nineties before the, really, you know, it's all you did was listen to CDs in your room. Basically like, all you did. Yeah. And I also listened to this album a lot. Yeah. Uh, so but, you were, you were a fan of it. You really liked it. No, you didn't, but uh, you listened I know to it. I liked it. I was okay with it. Yeah, I, but I don't still think I am. ever or I don't think I ever owned the, the the CD. This is the most accessible Green Day song off that album. You think so? Yeah. If I was gonna say, all right, I'm gonna play this for whoever, my mom, uh, someone like you know, my wife who's younger than me, or even like a yeah, yeah, yeah. A it's pop. You're right. It's totally, you're right. It's I'm not like, aggressive. It's poppy. It's not most, about masturbation. Is, or even it's not about. Here is just the most like I think like um what is it stew is that what is that one stew uh is that a tune i'm not sure yeah i think it's one of their songs i don't know right so that's like that's like too much yeah right absolutely it's this is a lot more like all right i can like hear this and it's kind of white noises but it's also kind of like poppy yeah and it's like kind of fun to like just kind of hear and we'll talk about why that works too actually like there's a structure well but before we do i just wanted to get through a couple other things about this thing so vanilla punk is what this is so they vanilla eyes a style of music so that the top, you know, so that sure. your mom can so listen it to it. And, right. And it was very effective for them. I think they, uh, this album sold like 10 million, uh, 10 Huge million units hit. in the United States alone. Half of them bought for like a 20. penny through Columbia <laughs> House. <laughs> right, right, yes. that, yeah. um, Dookie Means Poop, we talked about that. Oh, they're an East Bay band. That's another thing that was kind of interesting to me. I forgot about that. They were from like Berkeley, Oakland area, which I lived in Oakland for a little bit. So their album cover is like part of Berkeley. You see Telegraph Street, which is a famous street. Um, in Berkeley. If you're not familiar with the East Bay, it kind of sprawls. Their album was like a cartoon. It was a cartoon. And it was people really yeah. throwing poop. It was, yes, yes. In and the, the street, right and street. It was very, it's, a very, it's like a Where's Waldo type cartoon. Yes. It was very intricate. Yep. And the interesting thing is uh, the East Bay smells like poop now anyway. So it's kind of apropos, I think, to the, to, to the fucking so area. It was, like, it was like telling the future is uh, the Nostradamus of album covers. It, it is. Okay. The other thing I found that was interesting about this particular album is there were 14 tracks but it was less than 40 minutes of music. Yes, this yeah. is like two and a half minute song central. No, some of them were like 30 seconds. <laughs> right. So this I is remember like, this. I remember some of them were like were they? 40 seconds. Yeah. Some, some of them really short. I'm going by like, memory here. I, mean, I, I just why so you know, write a song when I do this show, I don't have notes in front of me. So if no, I say something know. wrong, like, oh, no, I'll, well, our, our, uh, our I, lie detector will that's come right, back that's later fine. on I, week. As far as I remember it, some of these songs were incredibly short. I remember being there like, oh, be. the song's over. Cause when you were, it's hard to explain to kids who are of age, like in the nineties. Yeah. You would literally just stare at your radio and listen to the song. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. I would stare at the album cover. I'd stare at it. And yeah. I, you would read the liner notes because yep. there was nothing else to do. No, there wasn't. Like I would really, I would pour over the liner notes because I, I didn't have my license yet. Yeah. So, and I, I liked music. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to like, you know, so yes, these, uh, this was an odd album in that regard. 
Yeah. So the other things I, I want to talk about in this album is it hit number one on the alternative chart for seven weeks. It was number two, actually, on the on the mainstream chart. And this particular song, When I Come Around, was inspired. It's so deep. was inspired by fucking <laughs> Billy Joe Armstrong, who's the singer of the band and guitar player who played like have you. Have you seen him play guitar? I mean, I've seen clips. Yeah, it's like his guitar is way down by his fucking ankles. That's and he's just doing it. this huge he's ass to be, wind up. Yes, he it's tries to be so punk. I think yeah. it's him trying to be rebellious. It is him. But he's him. completely sold out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is about his wife, um, girlfriend at the time. They fought, and it's like when I come back around to like hang out with you and fucking <laughs> fuck you, bitch, or whatever. Yeah, so, young kids. Uh, but what I wanted to show you structurally with this tune. Okay. Um, Matt, what, by the way, is taking out his yeah, guitar. Yeah. So one of the, the interesting things about this and the reason why I it's so hard for me to listen to is it's something called recycled rock tune. Okay. So, um, and I'll, I'll just play you like the chord structures. It's that structure. Okay. That structure is like a thousand songs out there. It's like with or without you. It is uh, this tune. It's spider webs. It's. It's like a hot, like so many of the pop songs you've ever, it's let it be. It's fucking, um, it is, oh, good living with you. Ow, it's good. You know that tune? Better than Ezra. It's okay, fucking no yeah, woman, yeah. no cry. It's Hey Soul Sister. It's, uh, it's Adele tunes. It's Take Me Home Country Roads. It is done over and over and over. It smacks you in the fucking head. You hear this, and I identify it so fast. When I hear the first two, tune, the first two chords of this song, or of this chordal structure, I'm like, okay, then it's going to go to the sixth chord, and then it's going to go back down to the fucking four chord. But I think it's part, be, unfortunately, it's probably part of, quote, unquote, the charm. Oh, yeah. Or, or why it sells. Well, people that, like what they predict. You that's know, exactly they, right. People like that. Right. Uh, people who find, people like music that they identify with that's familiar to them. So they yes. hear the, the chordal, Same they know where it's going to end. Movies and TV. And, right. And they yeah. know where it's going to start again, and it's just this evolving pattern that happens over and over. But for me, someone who's educated by music, I like, mm. I, I predict it. It's so boring to me it's so fucking boring if i know where the song is gonna go i just i it, it makes me it just makes me so angry that's the i've told you this before on the podcast that the boring shit is the thing that just kills me I mean, that was during the maroon five conversation we had which uh, also oh which one of the uh smashing po- oh uh today is the greatest the pumpkins, smashing pumpkins yeah. and then dun, fucking dun, dun, natalie dun, dun, dun. bruglia and she will be loved that tune that's it all they're all recycled rock tune maroon five does it as well um so but some of like I actually when I was thinking about this list of all these recycled rock tunes, um, I realized though that 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 you still can write songs with this chord pattern, and I can be okay with it. Like "Let It Be" is this, but I never I never thought about it. I never thought that this was re- that "Let It Be" was recycled rock tune, the, the Beatles tune. Mm-hmm. You're yeah, familiar yeah, with that, yeah, yeah, of course. Because no, no, it, it's interesting. Is, no, no. What is this song now? "Let It Be." Let it be. When oh, I find no, I myself. Oh, times. interesting. You know that and, one, and, right? And Paul McCartney. Paul Yes, I'm aware of Let It Be, Matt. Yes, thank you. I, yes. You know, just checking. But anyway, but <laughs> no, I had... Well, you said you were a Stones fan. Have you heard of the Beatles? No, Matt, I haven't. Thanks. It's B-E-E-T. No, it's not. But no, but that song, like the melody of that song is so of Let It Be is so pretty. Like it doesn't even matter. It just transcends the recycled rock tune. So that's part of the thing too. I think, and then I think that might expose this song a bit because Billy Joel Armstrong is no great he is singer, not right? Mozart, I mean, or they, a good singer, no. Right. So the lyrics are, are, are vapid. Yeah. The singing is is is. Eh. So I think it might expose this thing where 
the Beatles, as as I'm, I, as far as I know, talented. I, I never really heard of them before. Just just three minutes ago, apparently. <laughs> well, I'm glad that Be- I can educate you. The Beatles, <laughs> that, that, that thing's some mentally challenged. No, I the, don't. The Beatles, meanwhile, uh, can hide that with amazing vocals right. and just like Good the production. craftsmanship is just yep. is just there. Uh, where I'm guessing with Green Day, especially their first album, was not as polished. Although it was this is their third album. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. First, like a major. Yeah, it was their um, first like big release. Yeah. And, right. Yeah. Uh, but even so, I know, and if pardon me if I'm wrong, if people who are uh, huge punk fans, it's my understanding people in punk who really love punk hate these yeah, guys. Yeah, they do not they like Green Day. They hate these it's guys. It's the vanillaization of that style. Of course they hate it. Yeah, they, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but but you can, like I said, you can hide you can hide this chord pattern. You can do it but in interesting ways where people don't recognize that you're actually doing it and it's fine. But this is not one of them. The other thing with Billy Joe is did his like, is that a punk style of vocalizing that he said like he he's from america he's from like the fucking east bay he, people don't talk like he sings very nasally and I fucked up is it trying to get just like an affectation because i think of, it's just part that's how i mean this, i don't think that, i think it's just how we can get through the songs and terrible. sound unique should we it, talk about uh where we were in our lives well hold on just i'm, almost, I'm almost done i know all all right, right, i know i know i talk and i talk and i talk but there's one more no, thing no we never criticize you of that <laughs> But the recycled rock tune thing, when I went to, so I told you that uh, the first dorm that I lived in in uh, college was Eaton. It was a music dorm. It was an art dorm. And I met most of my friends there. We talked about this, I think, on the yeah, last yeah. episode. My buddy Bob, um, he was the one that exposed me to this idea of recycled rock tune because him in his band would play that chord pattern and then all of this, like, I don't know, 40 songs associated with right. it. And we would do these, like, huge sing-alongs in the dorm, like, in the dorm lounge because everybody would know all these songs. It was just you this one chord. There would be like 40 people in the dorm. I told you this music, this music dorm was a fucking amazing. It was just, so you guys just cool sit culture. there like in like yes, the, and just sing, sing with sing these stupid, like everybody knew these, knew these pop people tunes. People like drinking? What were people doing for fun? Like, not a lot of drinking in the, in the lounge because most people were Well, you were an RA too. You were an ARP. That was later that. on. Yeah, that oh, was boy. later on. It was, was a fun place. Fucking. No, it was a fun sober. place. It was, yeah, for you because you were an ARP. They, no, were, people they were all like sneaking drinks and saying yeah, yeah, shit yeah, about yeah, you yeah. behind your back. They had their nips. Yeah. yeah. And they were fucking Fuck. high on mescaline. Fuck Matt. <laughs> Let's sing some more songs. And That's right. Get drunk later. They liked it. Yeah. So anyway, so uh, so that he was the one that really introduced me to this concept and then now I fucking recognize it everywhere. Uh, but okay, yeah, so what, tell me where you were. What were you doing yeah, in 95? Yeah, so I have kind of an interesting take here on this. So uh, my dad died uh, December 13th, 1994. Jesus Christ. Yeah, so my dad had cancer uh, for from uh, October of 90, or when he was diagnosed, October of 90, and he passed away December 13th, 1994. So I was going to talk about something that isn't said a lot, talked about, I don't think, very much, but people who, I mean, who had parents or had, had you know, grandparents or stuff, passed away from cancer, something that's wrong. When they die, you feel kind of good. There is a huge relief. Your mm. whole, when someone close to you, a parent or uh, a sibling or someone who, who's very close to you passes away from can- when they've been battling it for so long, it consumes your life. Were you taking care of your dad too? He Did- died at home. It was, it was a disaster. I'm sure we'll get into that. 1994, yeah. by the way, if you're ever like, oh, wow, what years is Chris? It is complete worst. 94 and 2016. So anytime those years yeah. pop up, when those come up, it's going to be like hell. Uh, Thanks for the warning, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be fun for the audience. Uh, so this... Um, and in, and I say, if you've ever had anyone, you know, this may sound like you're happy your dad died. No, obviously not. It's horrible. But, you know, in some level, when they're that sick, when they're that, it's, it's that you're literally, it's, it consumes you 24 seven. I bet. Uh, it's, you, you just, you're stuck in like your paws. And your kid, how did you even go to school? Like, you oh, go, I literally, it, so 
Did it um, feel like a reprieve to, to leave the house? It was crazy. So like from basically that was my sophomore year. Yeah. So you'd, I'd get up every morning and go, hey, mom, is dad still alive? Oh, he is? And I'd put on my, my book bag and I'd go to school. Was he in bed this whole time? Yeah. Like, so was, okay. Yeah. Like yeah. that whole is like a disaster. So like obviously as you can imagine, I, I did very poorly in school my sophomore year. Yeah. Uh, especially that first half. I was really struggling you know, yeah. academically. I just didn't give a shit. So, uh, and you know, you come home and he, he's sick and even, you know, even just being in that, it was just, it just consumes you. Yeah. It's awful. You don't mind me asking you questions. Oh yeah, no, go for okay. it. Go, go all in. Um, so, uh, it was, re- it was really hard. It was really terrible. Yeah. When he dies, it's like, it's like a get out of jail free card. It, and people who have had, it, I, everyone I talked to have had this like kind of like uh, situation. You don't need to be young. You can be older. And if you haven't had it happen, guess what? It's going to fucking happen to you. Of course. Unless they just drop dead from a heart attack or something. If you have someone that you love, that you are very immediate family that has cancer, it is the worst. It, it literally like, and especially if you're living with that person, it is just, you just never, you never escape. Yeah. I stopped growing. So I'm six two now. I grew up to be six yeah. two. Um, when I was a, cause my dad had cancer all throughout junior high. So when I entered freshman year, I was four, like nine. And then when he <laughs> died, I was like five, two. And then that next, so th- I was during this point in time, second he died, I shot up. You think it was stress or were you not yeah, eating doc, too? Doc, it was just stress? No, doctor said, yeah, doctor said I was like pulling myself back. That is back. crazy yeah. that that could do that to you. It was, I, I, had, I had stretch marks on my legs. Oh, no. It was crazy. So this year, so- like January, like 95 was the year I grew like nine inches. It was crazy. I came back from like, meanwhile, when you're a sophomore in high school and you're like five foot one, you're not getting any girls either. Plus no. you're, so like, I was like, I was like a non-entity to the women. Uh, I was like tiny. My dad's died. Like, it was awful. And then the second he dies, I grew and I had my freedom again. And it was like, all right, you know, you can kind of get to borrow the great words of Chris Curtis, get past that. Yeah. Uh, you can kind of like, all right, I can kind of move on a little bit. And, yeah. um, it, and so this was as odd as it sounds, as much as you miss it, and you still have nightmares and you still have stuff. And I, I was dealing with my dad's stuff for years afterwards, but, um, you know, you kind of like, there's relief. Oh, I can fucking breathe again. Yeah. Like I'm not dealing with this all the fucking time. So that was, this is oddly enough. A time, I don't remember exactly what I was doing this exact moment in January. I'm sure around Super Bowl time. Actually, I can tell you right now. Yeah. I had friends come over for a Super Bowl party. I hadn't had friends over my house in two years. I mean, how, right. How could you? You know, my, you know, my house was not, you couldn't have friends over. Yeah. So I was finally able to have my friends over my house. And it was like, this is awesome. You know, this is great. And, you know, they just hang out. We, you know, we just had fun and just, you know, had a great time together. But, um, so was your mom working and you're gone? Was anybody with him during the day? Like how, so how did my that mom, work? uh, owns and still owns a dancing school. So right. she would be with him until like, you know, four o'clock, she'd go to work and then I'm home alone. Well, me and my younger sister were home with them then until the she evening got, until she got back. Until she got back. It damn. was not good. God very, damn. very, very like, so like, yeah, I mean, you had to grow up fast. You were cooking dinner. It was you tough. Fucking... I'm the oldest. My sister's, uh, my sister's seven years younger than me. So it was really just me and her. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I was making dinner every night and then doing that whole thing. It was, it was awful. Like 94, 93 and 92 were really hard too, for the same reasons. 94 though, January 94, we got basically the death, basically the death sentence. Yeah. Like, Oh, all right, this guy is going to stop chemo. Or, yeah. They're yeah, like, look, right, well, yeah. what happens is he was in remission. They came back and they're like, yeah, it's back. And it's like hyper aggressive. And my dad's like, and they're like, my dad's like, anything I can do. And they're like, no, you're cause he had done so much chemo. Right. He had done a Whipple procedure in 1990. Like it was like, yeah. he had done so much shit. So by the time they're like, listen, you're, you're fucked. <laughs> so, and he was young. He was 42 when he died. Uh-huh. So he was, it was just like, he was still really healthy. So he lasted longer than he should have. Yeah. So he was so like, like people, we had like basically hospice nurses come to the house in 94 and we'll get into more 94, but, uh, he, it was just like, Oh, 
how is this guy still fucking alive? Because he's 42. He's a 42-year-old heart. He's still, you know, really healthy. Right. Uh, except for this cancer. So, uh, yeah. So, 95, though, honestly, it was like, oh, wow. I can have my, I can hang out with my friends. I can, you know, it's not sad all the time in my house anymore. So, it really, as bizarre as it sounds, it was almost, and I'm sure people, you know, who have had, dealt with this can, can relate. It's, it's a relief. So, I remember feeling really relieved this time of year. Yeah. This time in this, in this moment of life. Well, I don't think I have anything as formative. Right. It was a really formative time in my life. So yeah, it's, yeah. we're going to probably have those. We're like, I might be like, I don't even know what I was doing. And you'd be like, well, this incredibly drastic thing happened to me. So yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. I don't want to expound. I mean, it doesn't make sense for me to expound more on that. I don't think at this point, but let's uh, talk headlines. Awesome. Andre Agassi beat Pete Sampras at the Aussie open. And it was his first of four Aussie open titles. Wow. Did you, did you watch tennis as a, as a kid at all? I loved Agassi. Loved him. I can't watch tennis anymore. I really like tennis. I, I so loved Agassi. I just started playing tennis. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. Last, you're like, doing that now. six months. Yes. Uh, you're, uh, you're, your your wife, wife is kicking your ass in tennis. I, I hold my own. I'm pretty good. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I love it. I, only, so we play tennis once a week. Uh, I never. I always like tennis to be really fun to learn. I am having a time in my life. So now I find myself watching more tennis. Right. Having said that, that time, I would watch, I guess, maybe a tiny bit here and there on ESPN, but I wouldn't stay for a while. It was like the rock and roll of fucking tennis at that well, point. He I was, was kind of so wild. He, I mean, I was, was probably more of a Sampras guy, although Agassi had kind of really? a weird... Really? He had a weird mullet. Yeah, he did have a weird mullet. And it was, a, it was actually a... It was a piece. It was a wig. And he, he said he... Um, I can't remember which yeah, event it was. Yeah, because then he was bald for a while. He had to shave it all off because he's like, you know what? I got to tell the world. It's a weird... Yeah, it's strange. He lost Sam one Malone of his... Sam of tennis. <laughs> right. He lost... <laughs> I, that's right. He's got a... Does he still have Wait, a wig? Yeah, Malone? I don't know if he still does, but remember he, the, he's last season, right now. the last season of Cheers, yes. he showed Carlo that he's wearing a piece, which is a great That's thing. right. No, Agassi, um, he said he lost one of his matches because he was so is uh I can't one of the majors. Um, oh, because he was so concerned so would, yeah. that it was going to fly off oh, God, in front great. of, you know, 20,000 oh, people. And in TV, that would have been, that <laughs> right. been we'd a million still, people. We still run that gif. But I, <laughs> yeah, we would. But I actually, I loved Agassi. I just loved his style. He was so aggressive. Um, and even though like, so he, and, and, uh, then actually in 95, like 95 through probably 98 or 99, I think was his biggest rivalry with Sampras. Yeah. In fact, when they first played each other, Andre was, I think Andre's a year older and they played it. And Andre's like, I feel bad for Pete because he's just not, he's, he's not going to make a oh, pro. Yeah. But of that's course, right. Pete had way better career. Not way, but, but like won twice as many majors. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Obviously, right. he still won well, eight majors. He was a, he's a Hall of Famer, yeah. one of the best to ever play, but Sampras yeah, definitely. Pete had more, yeah. Yeah, he was the best until Federer came around. Yeah. Um, Andre, it was cool though. He, he won, he was the first, uh, he started professionally at like 16 years old. By 18, he'd won a million dollars in prize money. I think he was ranked maybe 25 or, or maybe 15th or something in the, in the world when he was 18 years old. Like he came on hard when he was 13 years old. Um, his parents sent him to like a, you know, a tennis facility. I can't remember the name of, of his mentor. Um, and they could only pay for like three months, but the guy took one look at him and sent his check back and said, he's here for free. Wish my tennis instructor do that. Right. <laughs> right. What else we got? Um, next one is uh, Clinton gives $20 billion to Mexico to bail out the collapse of the peso. And it was the first time in the history of the United States where they used Fed money to send to a foreign country to prop it up. Really? It was crazy because Clinton said, um, he's like, he's like, well, we're worried that there'll just be a free-for-all in Mexico and they'll all jump the border and whatever come here is illegal immigrants, but also that they'll stop consuming Amer American products. But that's kind of a circular thinking because you're like, I'm going to send money there so they'll spend money here. It's like, what the, what the hell are you thinking? Hmm. Third thing is uh, John, sports one, John Stockton. Know him? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is he a Beatle? <laughs> he's a, yeah, he's, yeah he's, he, he's a drummer, right? I'm sorry. Uh, Stockton played for the Utah Jazz, right, with Carmelo? That's correct. Okay. You maybe know the sports knowledge better. Maybe you could tell me more about I this. I probably could. Okay. Based on the last sentence. Sorry. He passed Magic Johnson for number one in the all-time assist? assist league this week uh, in 1995, and he actually holds he the still, record. He still holds the record. Oh, yeah. yeah. By a large margin. Yeah. He has uh, 15,806 assists where, uh, guess who's next? Just, just throw out one. It's not Magic. No. Uh, I might say, I might say uh, LeBron. No, he's like fourth or fifth on the list now. Right. It's actually uh, Kid is next. Jason oh, Kidd. that makes sense. But he's only like at 12,000. Yeah. He was still 3,000 yeah. behind. And then after him is Rick Nash, of course. Is it Rick? Steve Nash. Steve Nash. Sorry, Rick Nash is the hockey player. That's correct. Um, and then also, uh, the other thing about Stockton, he, he holds another record too, and that's the Steels record of uh, 3,265. And Kid is second on that one too. He also holds another record too. What worst, is it? Worst haircut. It's a bad haircut. Bad haircut. Bad look. He played for like 19 years. Though. He did. That guy was good. Oh, no, he was great. I got to see him. Uh, I went to a game in the late 90s in Madison Square Garden. I got to see him play yeah. against the Knicks, and he, he's amazing. He, yeah. He was just, he, he's obviously great. Uh, really underrated player. Absolutely underrated. Right. I don't know that they ever won. They got to the finals a couple times. Twice. I don't think they, twice, yeah. right? But they don't I think they ever won, no, right? No, Malone actually went three times because he went with the Lakers as well. Malone uh, was a Laker? Malone for one year. And, and, was yeah. it the end of the, end of the career? Or the year end, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, did they, and did he They win? lost. That was, that was the end of the Shaq Kobe. That was the last Shaq Kobe year. Uh, was that against like Celtics in 2007? Uh, no, 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 no. This is, is uh, it before. This is before that. Okay. Um, Could, yeah. it, it might be against Detroit. The other one is, um, oh, this is, uh, this has relevance to our first episode. All right. Uh, Patricia Highsmith died on, um, oh, on February 4th. The writer, of course, of Talented Mr. Ripley. Talented Mr. Ripley, uh, Strangers on a Train, a yeah. bunch of other stuff. And she, she died in, in this, during this week? Yeah, February 4th. Oh, okay. Uh, and then the last one that I have is archaeologists, um, they, what they thought, they thought that they found the tomb of Alexander the Great. Oh. And now there's been some dispute oh. about that. Um, found it in uh, Siwa, Egypt, if I pronounce that right. Who knows? This is a really boring week. They're all, all the, it's really hard to find headlines, number one. Really? But to, yeah, because it's like you can go, I guess uh, you can see something like the New York Times. This week like is the worst time. week. Those are three. You think so? Those headlines are terrible. You yeah. said that last week, though. Yeah, th- this is worse than last week. You and think so? The second week was worse I, than but the first I, week. I, maybe, maybe you can give me some guidance. No, in terms I don't want of like to. I want, I want you to find an eye track to him. I like that. <laughs> well, but there was no reaction to this one, though. There was like the, no there reaction. Story, yeah, I, well, I couldn't but think of anything funny. But that's what I'm afraid. John in haircut joke. That's the best I could do. That's These headlines are awful. Poor Jay Leno. Yeah, you got the archaeologist. Pay your picture. He's been dead. Like, there's nothing there. Like, what are you going to do? I know, but that's what I'm afraid of. I'm going to give you nothing every single week. It puts a lot of pressure on me. Good. I like that. All pressure never hurts anybody. All right, well, that's our show then. Hey, it's a deal, you know, boys. That's what we got. Fine. Okay, so then next week, all right. we are, uh, we have a very special episode, right? We do. We got a, We have a guest. Do you remember uh, Do you remember the week or do I need to announce uh, it? Why don't you say it? Because you know, I know it's- October 28th through November 3rd, 1984. So October 28th through November 3rd, 1984. The first time we've had the 80s in our show. Yeah, that's right. And we have a guest. Do you want to say who our guest is? Kirk Minahan of the uh, Kirk Minahan Show will be sitting us uh, sitting in with us uh, next week. We'll actually be in his studio doing the show. That's exciting. So next week, so we are weekly now, so that's exciting. Uh, every Saturday, we're going to have a show uh, for the upcoming future. And then next week, we have Kirk Minahan in 1984. Yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll see you in that one. Thanks for listening.